I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Greg Scordis, filling in today for Boyd Matheson. And this is our last segment, as I can always tell when Jeff Kaplan comes bursting through the door. He's got more energy than any 18-year-old that I know. So I'm sort of looking forward to your show today, Jeff. Good. <laughs> um, let me just tell you about my morning to those of you that are that are joining us today. Um and and it's it, it's it's sort of a snapshot of some things that a lot of lawyers and professionals have have enjoyed and maybe benefited from over the last year in response to our country having to be shut down because of the virus. I was in the Woods Cross Court at nine o'clock, the Ogden City Court at ten o'clock, Salt Lake at eleven fifteen, and this afternoon I will be in West Jordan and Federal Court. A year and a half ago, there is no way. Any attorney could have done that. But now it's commonplace. And I'm not busier than anybody else. It's just what we do. We have Zoom. We have WebEx. We have Google Meet. And we have learned that we don't necessarily need to drive uh, to Cedar City to go say, not guilty, uh, let's set this matter for trial. Or to say, guilty, let's set it for sentencing. Uh, Those are things that we can do remotely. And hopefully, that's something that we've learned from this pandemic and other things that have gone on in our country over the last year that maybe make that maybe there's some good that's come out of all this. Maybe we've learned that there are ways to interact with one another that don't require a personal stand-up appearance, sitting in line and waiting for your name to be called. Uh, there, there is the 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 drawback that I felt uh, that it's often it's often more accommodating to lawyers, and I assume that's any professional when you're really meeting face to face you can get a little bit more done when you're talking and i know these these uh, zoom and webex features have a chat feature and we can always email we can always text we can always phone call uh, but sometimes when you're in court and you can just look somebody in the eye and sit across the table and say hey let's let's work this case out um, both as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney i learned that 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 face to face meeting was sometimes helpful and and we're not we're certainly not doing away with that but for certain procedures that um, that attorneys and other professionals do, I think we've learned a lot about the fact that we don't need to travel as much as we used to. My son's a doctor. He can't do surgery remotely. He's a, he's a surgeon. But his wife is a physician's assistant. She can do interviews. She can do uh, p- client intake, patient interviews, and that type of thing remotely and doesn't require people to come in, doesn't require people to take the time. I mean, it's just something that we've learned. Another thing we've learned, I think, over the last year is maybe a different kind of tolerance of police officers. And that, of course, has been in response to uh, a number of shootings, a number of high-profile events that we've seen in this country, including uh, the Derek Chauvin trial and others. Um, and, and and again, I, I, I need to disclose that I represent police officers. I'm an attorney for several police unions. I teach police officers, and I've taught officers throughout the state. I represent them when they're involved in officer-involved shootings. But by and large, we have not seen 
a, a real pushback from police on a lot of these issues we call police reform. Now, some people have talked about defunding the police, and that's that's not happened. It doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. Um, allocating funds in a different direction may happen, but defunding the police isn't. Police reform is very much going to happen. There was an article I read just today that the city of South Salt Lake has created a civilian review board to review officers' use of force. That is, the the notion that police agency A investigates the officers at police agency B is has an inherent conflict, has inherent problems, because these officers have to work together all the time. But a citizen review board doesn't have that those restrictions. And those are things that we should look at and embrace. Salt Lake City's had it for for 20 years. But a a lot of the smaller jurisdictions are going to start setting that up. We've had a history in Utah of of providing some um, independence. So, for example, if an officer at West Valley is involved in a shooting, West Valley's not not going to investigate it. Uh, West Jordan might or South Salt Lake might or Highway Patrol. Uh, we don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it, they try to separate that. But having non-police, having citizens, having people that, are, that are, don't have a, a dog in the fight, so to speak, help and, and investigate and, and get involved in these investigations, I think is going to make a lot of difference and is going to make make the public's perception of police better going forward. Um, I also... I'm troubled uh, with some things we've done in the past with police, and that is the, the investigation into officer-involved shootings. When I was at the district attorney's office, I was assigned to investigate officer-involved shootings, and, and we would usually wrap those cases up in a week. That's unheard of now. It's taking a year, and as we talked about yesterday on a on a matter involving a police-involved shooting, it's been almost two years. Now, that's not acceptable. That's not something that we should do. And I understand the position of the, the district attorney and other county attorneys who have said, uh, we need to do it right. We don't need to do this rushed. We need to make sure that we we vet the, the issues, that we interview all the witnesses, we consult experts, and we make the right decision. But it certainly shouldn't take two years to decide whether an officer was right or wrong when he or she pulled the trigger. Uh, there has to be more transparency there. There has to be more uh, release of body cams and dash cams. And we've been reluctant to do that because in the past we've said, well, if an investigation is ongoing, we don't want to release that information. But the public has a right to know that. And police officers largely don't object to that. Because what I found with police officers is they they want the public to see their body cam. They want the public to see their dash cam. They want to they want the public to to listen to what happened because it will more often than not justify their conduct. Now we saw um, the video of Derek Chauvin's actions, which were used to 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 convict him, and rightly so. Uh, there's there there are people out there with with uh, cameras. Police officers. Almost every police car now has a has a dash cam, and probably a third or maybe forty percent of our police officers uh, carry body cams. And and what we're learning is that that police are being scrutinized more than ever, but justifiably so. And most of the police officers, most all the police officers that I work with, support that and haven't run from it. What has been a, a problem, and what we what we have suffered, and I saw. A bus board ad the other day with uh, uh, County Sheriff uh, Rosie Rivera sort of begging people to, to come apply for work is a lot of people are afraid to jump into that uh, career 
And I think a lot of people of color are afraid to jump into that career for fear that they're that they're they're turning their back on their fellow people of color. Um, but we need, I mean, every agency in this state needs more and more and more uh, police officers representing uh, people of color and pe- police officers who are uh, of color. Uh, we learned that when we worked in the gang unit years ago that uh, the, the Polynesian community dealt better with Polynesian officers, that Hispanics really, really connected with Hispanic officers. And uh, to the extent that we can increase that, so much the better. But I think police today are better than they've ever been, despite what you might hear and despite some things that you might see. Um, and, And I support police throughout the state. And hopefully we've learned something in the last year about how police officers' conduct can be scrutinized and still be an honorable career. Thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed my two days here. Um, And enjoy, uh, enjoy Jeff Kaplan coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.